I'm going to go into a more detail on the three resurrections. Because that's what the holy days really depict, and that's what this plan of salvation is all about. Let's begin here in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. And we'll notice the commandment here. We heard these scriptures uh, mentioned earlier, but we'll read here beginning in verse number 34, Leviticus 23 and verse 34. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. For the first day, on the first day, shall be a holy convocation. And then seven days you shall offer an offering, so forth. And then we find a distinction here beginning in verse number 36, because we read here, on the eighth day shall be a holy convocation. Now you find, a, find it made a little clearer here, down in verse number 39. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered uh, in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. So that's the Feast of Tabernacles. Then notice what it says, on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Now, that's what this particular day is. It depicts another aspect, a very important aspect of God's plan of salvation. Now, um, there are many people today, as you all are well aware, that uh, think anything found in the Old Testament doesn't apply to us today and it's not relevant and uh, there is no necessity or need to keep these annual holy days. They completely ignore the example that Jesus gave. Did Jesus keep this festival? Well, look at it here in John, the seventh chapter. Here he went up to the feast, we read, and then we come to this particular day, and we read in John 7, verse number 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Here was Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles on the last great day. Now, what was he doing there if he didn't intend for us to follow his example? So we're here because we're following this example. We're following the example Jesus said it is a New Testament teaching just as well as the Old because the New Testament is an extension and an expansion of the Old and one-third of the New Testament is Old Testament quotes. Now, Laying that aside, let's go to Revelation, the 20th chapter here. I want to emphasize, I'm talking here this afternoon about three resurrections. I want to make that very clear, and I want to, I hope, hopefully can make this, this, uh, this fact that there are three very clear to you. And I'm going to emphasize something here in Revelation 20, I think which has probably been overlooked. It uses the word judgment here three times with respect to these days. Notice what we read here in verse number 4. These are some of the same scriptures that Mr. Um, Carter covered this morning, but I'll approach them from a slightly different viewpoint. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. There was a judgment that was passed. And what does it say here? These were the ones who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and it said, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That was their judgment. Their judgment was that they came up and lived with Christ. Now, how could they come up and live with Christ if they were dead? So it's talking about a resurrection here very clearly. Now, the problem arises here because we have this fifth verse that confuses people. And this fifth verse is nothing more than a parenthetical insert. And what I've done is I've put parentheses around the word but, starting with the word but in verse number five, and ending that parenthesis with the word finished. 
And if you read it directly by passing over that parenthetical expression, this is what you would read. These were the ones judgment was given to them, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Not that portion of verse number 5 that says otherwise. Actually, what that, uh, that little uh, inclusion there in verse number 5 is saying this. You see, what took place in verse number 4 is the, is the first resurrection, but the rest of the dead did not live until a thousand years were finished. We already have here two resurrections then, don't we? The first resurrection which occurs, as we'll see here, at the time Christ returned. Notice what it says in verse number 6. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. So if we have a first resurrection, we obviously have a second resurrection, and we already have the second resurrection mentioned here in verse number 5. So we already have two dispensed with here. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. See, we all die the first death. That's just a part of this human experience. But there's also a second death. And that's the second death from which there will be no resurrection. That's the final death. Now, let's go up to verse number 11 here. I saw a great white throne. That's what this last day, this eighth day depicts, is this great white throne judgment period. And notice what we read here. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So here are some people who are resurrected. Now, they obviously weren't in the first resurrection. So it says here, I saw them stand before God, and the books were opened, and, which was, and another book was opened, which is a book of life, and the dead were judged. So now we have this word judged again, don't we? Second time we have it. What we're really dealing with here, then, dealing with is the second resurrection. And they were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, what I would like to do here is take you, before we proceed with the third resurrection, I want to show you very clearly from the scriptures there is a first and there is a second resurrection. Let's go to Job 19, verse number 25. Job 19.25 Here's what Job wrote. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. This is what they understood clear back, these ancients understood at this time, that there would be a resurrection, that, that Jesus Christ would return and would, would happen at the latter days. And then notice what he says. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. That is an erroneous translation. Notice what your marginal rendering says. The marginal rendering has it correct. After I shall awake, though this body be destroyed, yet out of my flesh shall I see God. Now, if he's going to see God out of his flesh, then obviously he's not going to have a fleshly body, is he? So this is talking about a resurrection immortality. This is talking about the first resurrection. You know what the Bible says? Those these three men were in it. Noah, Daniel, and Job. This is one of the three most righteous men in the Bible was Job. Yet they should be delivered but their own souls. So we see here Job is very clearly in this category of righteous men who will be resurrected. 
Now, Psalm 17, verse 15. Psalm 17, verse 15. Here's David talking, and what does he say? You know, we have all kinds of scriptures. In fact, this uh, 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel that Mr. Um, Carter was reading from this morning, if he would have continued reading there, it says very plainly there how David is going to be resurrected and he's going to be, uh, he's going to be over Israel forever. So what does David say here? As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Now, how's he going to be like God's likeness unless he's like God? What did John say? John said, we will see him as he is. We're the sons of God now, but we will see him as he is. That's talking about a resurrection immortality. That's the first resurrection. Psalm 73, verse number 24. Here again is a psalm by, um, this one by Asaph, Asaph. And we read, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Now how does the Bible say a man will appear? He's going to appear in a glorified form, isn't he? Is God in a glorified form? The Bible says no man can look on God and live. We're going to see him as he is. So obviously we're going to be like he is. The Bible talks of, of the righteous shining forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So here we see the same thing referred to in this Psalm 73. Now Mr. Carter touched on this this morning. And I'll just uh, go over it uh, without spending a lot of time on it. Because here's what it says in Daniel 12, verse 2. You see, we see two resurrections spoken of here. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. Resurrection number one. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's actually talking about the third resurrection. We'll see that as we proceed here. Luke 20, verse number 35. Luke 20, verse 35. The question came up, you see, about whose wife was this party going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus said, verse 35, They which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. That's a resurrection immortality. That's the first resurrection. We read that back in uh, Revelation 20, didn't it? Said on, on these people, death has no power. So this is the first resurrection. Luke 14, verse 14. Here he's telling how um, a proper respect should be shown to other people. And rather than uh, Jesus said, you pat, you pat me on the back and I'll pat you on the back, he says, you, don't do that. Rather, he said, you take care of those who really need help. And then he said, when you call a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Now, you know what we find then? 
if there's a resurrection of the just, there must be a resurrection of the unjust. The resurrection of the just means those who are in God's kingdom. In fact, notice what Jesus said here in John 5, verse number 29. You see, we read that the Son has life within himself. And so the Father, uh, he has given the Son to have life in himself. As the Father has it, he's given it to the Son. And hath given, a, given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. That is to say, because he went through all this, these human experiences we go through, he certainly is going to be fair and just in all of his judgments. And uh, the problem with so many people today is that uh, they're very quick to pass judgment on people when they haven't been in their shoes. They don't know the circumstances. And they, they like to play God and they want to decide this and that, right and wrong and that kind of thing. They've never been given that authority. That's been given to Christ. The only authority God has given us is to make sure we live up to it ourselves and not to sit in judgment and worry about other people. You know what the Bible says? If the, if the righteous scarcely be saved, how shall a sinner and the ungodly stand? So, you know, we better be thinking seriously about ourselves. Now he went on to say this. Marvel, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth. That's all of them. They that had done good under the resurrection of the light of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation, or the resurrection of judgment. That's the first and the third resurrection you're reading about there. Now we'll get to the second one here as we proceed. John six forty. Here Jesus is saying that uh, he, was going, he was going to lose nothing that uh, the Father would give him, but he would raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth, seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. That's eternal life. What did Jesus say? He said, Thomas, Blessed are you because you have seen and believed, but I'll tell you this, more blessed are those who have never seen and have believed. Those are the people on down the line many, many generations later who believe, and they didn't see Christ. They, have, they believe in faith. You know, what makes, us, what makes us all gather here in this room? I'll tell you, there's two things, two fundamental things. We believe in God, and we believe this is his word. That's why we're here. That's the bottom line right there. We don't allow ourselves to get sidetracked in all the foibles and the flaws and the errors and the sins of men and organizations. We have to keep our eyes on God and on Christ and on that word. That's what's important. Nothing else amounts to anything except that. Now, that being the case, notice what he said here. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, he, if he just said that is, that's referring to, if he's, if he's referring to the last day, and he said those who believe on him may have everlasting life, what resurrection is that talking about? That's talking about the first resurrection. Matthew 24, verse number 31. 
Here we find Jesus describing events that are going to transpire very near the very time of the end, and it says you're going to see the Son of Man coming, coming in the clouds of heaven. He'll come with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now what is this event? It's talking about a great trump. Well, we find that in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15, two of the texts that were mentioned this morning. Let's notice here, uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4, first of all. 1 Thessalonians 4, and uh, verse. let's pick it up here in verse number, well, I won't read the whole thing. Mr. Carter read it this morning to you. Because we read here in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. There it is. It's talking about the trump. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now what resurrection is that? The only resurrection that occurs at the time Christ returns is the resurrection to immortal life. We're going to see the second resurrection is a resurrection to mortal life. And the third resurrection is a resurrection to damnation. So the dead in Christ shall rise first. They're first. I, can't, I think I commented on this during the feast here. Because my wife brought this to my attention, I never thought of it in that way. But uh, you know, we we seem to think, well, if we're dead, we're not we're not going to be able to witness the second coming of Christ. We certainly will. If we're within that righteous group of individuals who are resurrected, then we will be we will we will be resurrected and see the thing happen right at that time. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This text, by the way, is one of the texts that has been misread and misunderstood and applied to the rapture theory. You see, they don't read very carefully. It says they will be with the Lord. Where is the Lord going to be? Read Zechariah, the 14th chapter. It says when he comes, he comes right down on the Mount of Olives. That's where they're going to be with him. So again, this is talking about the first resurrection. Now in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, notice what we read here. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's amazing to me because we have a certain beliefs today, one belief in particular that believes that this particular nation is the kingdom of God. And we have another major religious organization that says the church, its church is the kingdom of God on the earth. And yet I read here very plainly, flesh and, flesh and blood can't be in it. So they can't be the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Actually, it's very interesting if you ever want to look through this... Uh, Book of Revelation, the cha uh, that is the uh, first Corinthians, the fifteenth chapter. Carefully, he asks three major questions. He presents three major questions in this chapter, and he answers them. Question number one: Is there a resurrection? Question number two: What is the nature of this resurrection? 
And question number three, what happens to those who are alive at the time it occurs? That's what this chapter deals with. So we go to the verse number 50, and he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's what the Bible calls death. Any number of places in the Bible where it speaks of, of death, it calls it a sleep. And yet, you have these smug people who look on people who say the dead are asleep and they refer to them as soul sleepers. Well, who are you going to believe? The Bible or these pagan concepts that came into the church in the 2nd and 3rd and 4th centuries masquerading now today as Christianity? pagan concept of the immortality of the soul, the pagan concept of, of a subterranean tavern, a cavern underneath the earth where the wicked are punished. Going off to heaven, you know, the Greeks, the Jews did the same thing. They had the concept of uh, the Jews, uh, the, uh, the um, Greeks called it pleroma. And uh, the uh, Hebrews, Jews had another term for it. But anyway, what it is, you have these spheres supposed spheres that surround the earth and as you advance and progress to a higher level of spirituality you go from one sphere to the other until you finally absorbed into the nothing the the, uh, the jews call it the end sof if you listen carefully to things some of the th ideas that are being promulgated tonight and you know enough about that background of that greek philosophy and you know what they taught you can just pick out immediately what it is it's nothing more than a continuation of those same old pagan concepts so what do we read here? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now at the time of the resurrection, it's going to be an instantaneous change, isn't it? From death to life. Those who are alive, it's going to be an instantaneous change. How, how often, when will it happen? In a moment, at the twinkling of, a, twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Didn't we just read about the trumpet? For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. That's the first resurrection. Now what about the second resurrection? You see, that's what this day really depicts today. The great white throne judgment period. When a judgment occurs... The books are open and a judgment occurs. The judgment for the righteous already took place. Now a judgment occurs for those we've heard about this morning who never had a knowledge of the truth. People have accused us of believing that uh, we preach a second chance. We don't preach a second chance. You have one chance and one chance only. The only difference is if God has opened our eyes, we're given that chance now. And for people who have not been called to a knowledge of the truth, that chance will be given them in the great white throne judgment period. Notice Revelation 20 once again here. I, you know, I find this hard to believe, but there are people who are in the church of God for years and years who are now so confused on this issue of the resurrection. I think there's only two resurrections. I don't know how people can let those kind of things happen to them. So what do we read here? Verse 12, I saw the dead, 
Both are dead, then they're resurrected here, aren't they? I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. So here we have a judgment. They were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So we see very clearly here now, here's the second resurrection. Now, Mr. Carter went over that this morning in Ezekiel 37 chapter. I'll just touch on it here. Uh, let's notice here what it says. Uh, let's go down here to verse number 11. We already saw, you see, where he, he's causing breath to come into them and he's going to lay sinews upon you and he's going to cover you with skin, put breath in you and so forth. And they lived and stood on their feet. Verse 10, an exceeding great army. This is a resurrection back to mortal life. It is not immortal. They're flesh and blood human beings. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now notice what they say. Are these people resurrected with, with the idea in mind that now they're, they're in right standing with God and they're immortal? Is that what they're saying? Do they have that concept? No. What do they say? Our bones are dried and our hope is lost. They know they're, they're mortal. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, I'll open up your graves and I'll cause you to come out of your graves. And then we heard, we heard the rest of it this morning. Now, continuing, I said a little earlier that David is going to be in that first resurrection. How do we know that? Well, as we read here, David, my servant, shall be king over them. David was already resurrected a, th a, a thousand years earlier. And they shall all walk in my judgments and so forth. And their children, they and, they, they and their children's children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. So we see very clearly that's talking about a physical resurrection. That is the second resurrection. That is a resurrection for those people to be given their first opportunity. They never had one before. You've all experienced this where you've talked, you've talked to friends and unconverted relatives. And uh, how long does it take to talk to someone when you know very well you are not getting through to them at all? It's just like a barrier up there. And I mean, you, it's just a waste of time. You've all had that happen. Those are people who have never been called. I tell you one thing we better realize. We're not superior. We're not better than they. But for the grace of God, there goes you or I. And I can tell you this. We ought to be very thankful and humble in the sight of God that we're privileged to know and understand it now. And we better not, we better not treat it lightly. One of the biggest hindrances, you know, we heard the things we've got to overcome is ourselves and the world and Satan. But I can tell you one of the biggest hindrances is when you put your, your faith and confidence in a man and then you look to that man. It doesn't make a difference who he is. And then you find out, lo and behold, he's human. And then you get disillusioned. Don't think that hasn't happened. I'll tell you one you'll never get disillusioned with, and that's Christ. Well, you can get disillusioned with any man. And that includes Mr. Carter and me. So you better understand that. You better be here because you're following God and Christ, not because you're following us. That's what's important. So here we find then a second resurrection.
a, re a resurrection to immortality. Ah, to not immortality, but to mortality. Mortality. Physical flesh and blood resurrec uh, resurrection. Now, I'll go over this scripture here once again, so you'll, you'll see it in its perspective. Isaiah 65, 20. We have always believed and felt that this is referring to this 100-year time period that will occur at the time of the second resurrection. Because it says here in verse 20, There shall no more thence. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. You see the word thence? You know what that means? From that time. Now, what time are we talking about? Go back up to verse 17. I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So what he's saying is, when that, once that time period starts, this event has already occurred where there's been a hundred years granted. And we have always felt and taught and believed that that is the 100-year period represented by this second resurrection. I know there were people told here a few years ago that there would be 10 separate 100-year periods in the millennium. Church never taught that, never believed it, never accepted it. That's a personal idea of someone. That is not what the church believed or taught. Now, you may want to argue this point, and maybe it is uh, unprovable. But I can tell you what is very clear. There is a second resurrection when people, the judgment books, the judgment will be given unto them. The books will be opened and they will be given their first opportunity for salvation. However long that period is. And the indication is it's 100 years. All right, now what about the third resurrection? The third resurrection is also spoken of here in Revelation 20. Because what do we read here in verse 13? The sea gave up the dead, so now here are the dead being resurrected. If everybody's already been resurrected before, then why is this? Why are the dead being raised up? The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades, which means the grave, all those in the grave, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged. So here's another judgment. Here's the third judgment spoken of. And what happens to them? They were judged every man according to their works and death and hell. That is, those who were in death and who were in the state of hell, they were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the third resurrection. That's the resurrection Jesus talked about when he said there will be the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. He didn't say it in those many words, but that's what he meant. The resurrection of the unjust to damnation. This is a resurrection. I mean, this is, yeah, this is a resurrection and this is a death of, from, when, from whence there is no resurrection. You know, I stop and think about uh, all these people who were vaporized in that terrible tragedy in New York City. And if you read the news reports, I was really shocked to hear this. That first tower when it was hit, I believe it was hit on about the 80, 84th floor, whatever the floor was. And they said within seconds... The explosion of those flames went all the way down the elevator shafts and out through the lobbies on the bottom floor and killed people and burned people down there. 
Can you imagine what chance those people had? They've only found 400 and some bodies so far. That is, they've been able to identify. And there's, uh, what, uh, five, uh, almost, almost 5,000, I think, 4,815, I think the latest figures are, missing. And they can't, they, they can't find anything of them. What happened to them? Well, they estimate that the, the, the heat up there was 1,000 degrees. That's why the, the, the metal melted, and then the way the building was constructed, it started that pan and cake collapse, just floor, 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 right on down the line. So what, what, people, what chance did those people have? They were vaporized. The only thing I saw comparable to that was years ago I toured Fontana Steel Mills in Fontana, California. And they had a huge room about the size of this room and about as high as this room. And they called it the, um, oh, I forget the exact term, but what they did, they had these huge ingots of steel in there. And those ingots of steel were probably from me to the wall long and as high as I am and, and uh, about as wide as that wall. That, that section of the wall there, huge, weighed tons. And they had them sitting down in that, that oven, and the flames were up to the top of the ceiling, and those all of those ingots were just red hot. They put them in there for about two weeks before they pulled them out and began to work the steel. And I thought to myself, that a big catwalk as you walked around the outside edge of that, that, uh, that oven, that uh, whatever they called it, um, this... Uh, treatment oven, whatever it was, and if I just thought, what would happen to you if you slipped and fell down in there? You'd just be vaporized. You know, you talk about people who've already burned once in hell fire, that's not the literal hell fire, but they burned once in a fire like hell, that's exactly what would happen if you got thrown down in those ovens. What happened to those people who were vaporized? Is God capable of bringing them all back to life again? Certainly. Are they not, quote, in hell? That is, in, in the state of death? So, we read, These were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's going to be an instant death. How long, how long could a person live in that? If you saw those scenes there, when that, uh, those towers were hit up there, there were people that actually dove out the windows, hundreds of floors down to their deaths. You saw that, didn't you? You know, they had to make a choice. Am I going to stand here and be burned and evaporated, or would I rather die just diving out a window and hitting the concrete? Terrible, terrible condition to be put in. We talk about the third resurrection. All right, let's go back to Daniel chapter 2 once again. And I'll just uh, touch on, not, not Daniel uh, 2, but Daniel 12, verse 2. And I read it a few minutes ago. Some are going to be resurrected here. Many of them that sleep in the dust of earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be living that whole time period. It means the consequences of them is everlasting and it's contempt. John 5, 29. Scripture I read just a few minutes ago. What do we read here? They that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment or the resurrection of damnation. That's a resurrection of death, isn't it? That's the third resurrection. Acts 24, 14. 
Acts 24, 14. Here Paul is talking, uh, testifying before uh, Felix, and he said, this way, beginning in verse 14, this way, uh, but this I confess unto, uh, to, uh, unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. The first and third resurrections. Matthew 3, verse number 10. Here Jesus, in this particular case here, it's John the Baptist speaking, and John said this. Now the axe is laid under the root of the trees, therefore every tree which brings forth not uh, brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, when we baptize somebody, how do we baptize them? Do we lay them out on the ground and sprinkle a little bit of dust on their foreheads? Or are they buried? Baptism signifies a burial. When you bury somebody, you put them under the ground, don't you? When you're baptized, you're immersed under the water. Now, if Jesus is going to baptize with fire, that's what he's talking about. Those who are will be immersed in fire. And I think we all know what happens when you get too close to fire. Matthew 13, verse number 30. Jesus said, Let the harvest grow, let, let them grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, Gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. So we have the wheat and tares growing together. He said, don't tear the tares out because you're liable to tear out some of the wheat in the same, at the same time. He said, let them grow together. You know, if you're walking around looking for a perfect church, you will never have it. We don't have a perfect church here. Neither does anyone else. Why? Because there's going to be tares around. Jesus said so. Now, what did he say? Let them alone. Time's going to come. He said, I'm going to burn them with fire. That's why we'd better take heed to the things we hear and how we behave and practice our, practice our, our Christian living. Matthew uh, 4, uh, 13, verse 40. Therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be at the end of this world. Matthew 10, verse number 28. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. That's the Greek equivalent of the word nephesh. just means the physical life. Or it means life. That's, that's a better way to put it. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and body in Gehenna. It held fire. Gehenna was a city dump on the outskirts of Jerusalem where all the trash was thrown over the wall and burned down there and there were carcasses and everything else down there burning and rotting. And Jesus used that as a type or an example of the final lake of fire. That's why the word Gehenna is often used in and what translated hell in our King James Bible. 
and many others for that matter. Matthew 18, verses 7 and 8. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man of whom the offense cometh. Therefore, if your hand or foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them off from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. That's the final death. Now we know, of course, that Jesus didn't mean to cut off your hand or something of that nature if your hand offends because your, your hand is nothing more than a, an appendage that does what your mind says. So what he's really saying here is you better correct the problem in your mind. And I bring that to your attention because I remember years ago there was a certain man who uh, read this scripture and decided he had a problem with his hand so he cut his hand off. Don't think people don't do weird things. He didn't understand the text at all. And if your eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna fire. Because if you don't solve the problem, and the problem is within, it's in the mind, that's where everything starts. If the mind is right and the heart is right, then your appendages and every receptor you have on your body will behave appropriately. Matthew 23, verse number 33. Matthew 23, verse 33. You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of Gehenna? And Jesus said there would be those who would go in it. We heard that this morning. People who are unwilling to change, who are so stuck on their own arrogance and their own attitude and their own opinion, they're going to hang on to it no matter what. Well, they, they're allowed to do that. That's the privilege God allows everybody now. But I can tell you, if you have a habit of arguing and being stubborn and holding on to your position no matter what, let's see how you do that when you appear before Christ. You'll find out how valuable it is then. If you're not malleable... Uh, to God's word and you're willing to be corrected out of it you think God's going to allow you to be in his kingdom you wouldn't allow any of us to be in, in his kingdom like that he's not going to have a kingdom where you have all these things that offend and these things we heard about this morning Malachi 4 verse 1 for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea all the do wickedly shall be stubble and the day shall come, cometh that burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root or branch. That's the final resurrection. That's the resurrection to the lake of fire. That's the consequence of the third resurrection. It's like Mr. Carter said this morning. If you come up in that resurrection, it's already too late. Because the righteous will be resurrected to the time Christ returns. Those who never had an opportunity for salvation will be resurrected in the great white throne judgment period following the millennium. Those who are resurrected in this one are people who rejected it. Either from the other two time periods ahead or in the past. And they will be, as it says here, stubble under the feet of the righteous. Hebrews 10, 27. 
You see, uh, we're told here that we should not forsake the assembling our, of ourselves together. We read here in verse number 25, as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, and that is really a progressive form in the Greek and should read, if we are sinning willfully, if we're sinning willfully, what point do we reach when we reach the point of no return? I can't tell you. All I can tell you is that there comes a time point where God, there's a cutoff point. That's why it says, let the, let the righteous be righteous still. Let the filthy be filthy still. The cutoff point has been reached. And when you reach that point, it says, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. You cannot go back and apply Christ's blood to you. Here's what you look forward to. But a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite under the Spirit of grace. We'd better heed. Now's the time to pay attention. Don't take it lightly. Second Peter 3, verse 10. Second Peter 3 and verse 10. The day will come, the day, the day of the Lord will come. Come as a thief in the night. You know, it's amazing to me because the Bible talks about the identifying signs where we can be looking at world events and we should be looking and we should be aware of the times in which we're living. But it also says here, when that actual time comes, it's going to come as a thief in the night. You don't know when it's coming. You know, there are people who, who, who you know, I can remember, I can, I can, I can, I've got, this is my third Bible now and I'm wearing it out. And I could take you back to my first Bible. I'll tell you what you'll find out. When you look at my Bibles, every one I get to print gets bigger. I got my first Bible out the other day and started looking at it. I wonder, how in the world did I read that? But I can open the back of that Bible and I can show you a chart we had all. Boy, it was down pat. We had everything calculated when Christ was going to return, when the... Uh, when the church was going to flee, Christ was going to return, the times of the Gentiles, you know, the whole nine yards, we had it all laid out. There's only one thing wrong with it. It never happened. People come and ask me, say, yo, when's this going to occur? What's that going to happen? I tell them, well, I'll tell you, if you'd asked me that before 1972, I could have told you. That's what's so bad about setting dates. That's a bad mistake. It should never be done. But as we read here, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are in therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God. That includes the whole time period, but it includes this, this final con conflagration that will burn up and purify this earth. And you know, every time I think, it just galls me every time I have to throw something plastic into the trash can. 
You know, if they made all these plastic things biodegradable, I could sympathize with it. But how much garbage and stuff is there on the earth today that it would take a thousand years for to uh, deteriorate? Well, I can tell you, when the earth is burned up, all those things are going to be gone. All this plastic trash that's all over the world will be burned up along with it, and the earth will be purified. Anyway, we're looking for the day of God, when the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So what do we have? We have three, we have three resurrections. We have the first resurrection, the resurre resurrection of the righteous, will, which will occur at the time Christ returns. We have the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Then we have the second resurrection, which occurs at the end of the millennium. For all indications are, a 100-year period. And then following that, we have the third and the final resurrection. That's to judge those who are wicked. Remember what John said. It says John warned them about the one who would come with him will baptize with water and with fire. And then it says, and many other warnings John gave. It all began with John the Baptist. And it's going to end when God's plan of salvation is completed and all three resurrections take place. Let us strive, brethren, to the very best of our abilities and most important all with God's help where we cry on him and rely on him and trust him to help us to do what we need to do in order to qualify for that first resurrection.